Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did you know that it is Asian American Pacific Islanders Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Carden, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meath. Plus, you can help support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA Scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native, Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. There she is. We didn't interrupt anything, did we? Uh, Listen, I like to be late. Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I like to be early. I show up on time. I told all my kids. Punctuality, extremely important. What did they say? It's the courtesy of kings, they call it. It's a courtesy. Right? Yeah. I never understood that phrase, by the way. It's the courtesy of kings. If there's anybody in the planet who can be late, it's a fucking king. Welcome to Literally with me, Rob Lowe. Our guest this week is Caitlyn Jenner. I can't think of anybody who is more interesting, have more chapters, more ups and downs, more just unbelievable life moments, choices uh, than, than Caitlyn. I was out on the driving range hitting balls, and she walked up in this amazing golf skirt and outfit. And we started talking. And of course she was hitting the ball 10 times farther than me. And I was like, you need to be on the podcast. You would be so interesting to talk to. And she did not disappoint. Um, my favorite thing about her is how she just gets it and is also kind of slyly hilarious. So, um, Buckle your seat belts. Uh, this is a really, really good talk with an extraordinary person. I have so much to talk about with you. And then I'm going to go, and you'll appreciate this because your golf swing is pretty fucking, yeah. excuse me, spectacular. Right. I'm going to yeah. stop using the F word. I'm going to stop. It's it's uh, over. I'm banishing it'll it. It'll never happen. But anyway, go on. It's a family-friendly show. Um, so you're going to play golf? I'm going to go golf. How's your golf game, by the way? Mine? Yeah. Um, I, you know, it, it comes and goes. Um, I'm always constantly trying new things. You know, you always want to get better. Right. Um, last year was a very tough year. I had shoulder surgery. You're kidding. And that was horrible. I mean, it was nine months, not even swinging a club. I couldn't putt. I couldn't do anything. But the shoulder finally came back and just 
You know, watching a YouTube video on golf swings, which there's a million of them out there. Oh, yeah. This guy was talking about, because I work with my hands, how my hands work in this swing. And he showed some stuff. And, oh, my God, it really worked. So actually, right now, I'm hitting the ball extraordinarily well. So that's good. But who knows how long it's going to last? You You know, Rob, every day is an adventure. Were you ever the club champion at your club? No, I don't play too many tournaments. See, that's what people think. People think I'm like this most competitive person and, you know, because of my history. Mm -hmm. But I'm really not. You know, I was extraordinarily competitive back in the day. You know, Um, yeah, I, I worked my ass off. Winning was extraordinarily important. But once that was over with, I kind of said to myself, you know what? I never want to put myself in a position like that again, where you're so obsessed with one area in your life and so competitive in one area of your life, because there's so much more to life than that, Mm -hmm. than competition, than this, than that. And so I kind of just turned that switch, that competitive switch off. I am still competitive with myself, like in golf. You know, I like working on the game and I'm competitive with myself. And yeah, I get upset with myself if I hit a bad shot. Not terribly. I don't throw clubs or nothing. But, you know, inside I said, oh, you just, you dummy. You know, turn the shoulders a little bit more. Don't be lazy or stuff like that. So I'm kind of competitive with myself. But as far as other people, you know, they all think, oh, my gosh, you know. And plus, I don't bet. I never bet on anything. I don't get betting. I don't get it. I, I don't get it either. I, I could walk through a casino every day of my life and never feel compelled to play any any of those games or bet. or I don't even understand them. Yeah. It's, look, a, it's, a, it's a Nassau with a five-way wager. It's like, what? Nassau? What, what the going to Nassau that? after yeah, the game? Yeah. What? Yeah. What's going I, on? I, I'm the exact same way. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't gamble at all. I mean, in Vegas... If you're with a bunch of friends and you go to the blackjack table and take a hundred dollars and put it, you know, and play the five dollar table and see if you can win something, you always wind up losing anyway. But I figure, you know, that's about the extent of it, you know. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think also, by the way, of just how because I ran into you the other day and right. we haven't seen each other in years. When did I'm trying to think of the first time? Well, it's not really fair trying to figure out the first time I met you because you were such a part of my childhood. Um, oh, thanks. No, no, it's true. I don't mean to make, no, listen, it's not it's about making child. you seem old. It's oh, not about making you seem old, Caitlin. Okay. It's just okay. A, okay. It's, it's a statement. I've been around fact. a long time. Yeah. You yeah, That's a fact. Yeah. You've been around a long time. Um, I ate the Wheaties with you on the cover. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I did all of that. That's when being on the Wheaties box meant something. Yeah. Well, I, I totally agree. Actually, um, they had um, uh, the cover of the Wheaties box as really quite a history. It goes back to the first real big guy was this guy, Jack Armstrong, All-American boy. And this is back in the 30s. It was General Mills' um, second product. Gold medal flour was General Mills' first product. Their second product was Wheaties. I mean, that's how far back it goes. Wow. And But Babe Ruth, um, did commercials for them, radio commercials and stuff. And then a guy named Bob Richards, uh, who was Olympic champion in 56 in the pole vault, uh, 
Uh, he did it for 13 years. He did all sorts of fitness stuff with General Mills, this and that. And then they kind of dropped the whole program for years. And Bob Richards, obviously, he also ran the decathlon. So in 1976, he was around and he calls General Mills up and he says, you've got to use this kit, you know. And um, uh, then so they kind of kicked that program back in. And uh, I started out and did it for four years until then they had Mary Lou Retton at the next Olympics, you know, or five years. And then Mary Lou came in and did it. Yeah, but it was a good run. I mean, we did a lot of things. I mean, where they had the Weedy Sports Foundation. We did stuff, kids. We did motivational uh, films. Back then, they were films. Yeah, of um, course. Yeah, and um, yeah, that was the best association as far as a commercial I have I ever had because they did more as much for me as I hopefully did for them. You know? Yeah, that was that was a re- a real moment in time, and uh, you know, you have so many iconic images of yourself the the you know w- with a flag in Montreal stadium that was a you know a once in a lifetime moment want to hear the flag story uh yes because nobody had ever done that before the flag nobody done it in 1968 um the only other one was George Foreman uh George had won the boxing and that was yep. the year with Tommy Smith and Lee Evans and protests and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and George Furman put up, he had a little flag about this big and about that big. And after he won, he kind of held it up and went like this. Okay. But that was the only time. And so and that was in 68. This is 76, you know. And uh, I wasn't planning on that. Now, the finish line story. 1972, I went to two Olympics. Right. In 1972 in Munich, Germany, um, I was a nobody. I was 22 years old. I made it on the team, never thought I ever would. There's no pressure at me at the games because nobody expected me to even be there. I wanted to get in the top 10. I got 10th. And um, But at the finish line of the 1500 meters, uh, which is the final event, um, I had won my heat. And this guy took a picture of me crossing the finish line. Actually, it was a black and white. And he had uh, won an award for this picture. Oh. And so he sent it to me, you know? And um, I thought, this is a cool picture. It was just this floating across the finish line. You know, 72, hair's kind of long, looking up into the, the expression on the face, the stride, you could see the finish line right between my legs. It was like this... Perfect little shot, you know? So I took the picture and I had it blown up and I had a quote I really liked superimposed over top of it. And then I was living in a $145 a month apartment, not too big. And I took it, the little couch I had, but I took it and I off-centered the picture off to the side, not in the center. Why? Because I want that picture that same picture from 1976, if I make it that far, I'm, I'm sort of planning on it. But I want that same picture with the finish line between your legs going across the finish line, you know, and that because that's my final step. I retire at that point. And so I'm coming down. I'm just blitzing. 
down the finish, you know, towards the finish line, going as hard as I possibly can. I wanted to get over 8,600 points and, and, and break the world record and be the first guy over 8,600 and walk away. And so I'm just boogieing it down that uh, last straight. And I get to the finish line and my hands went up in the air and I'm, I let out this giant scream and my hands went up in the air and I'm slowly, you know, coming to a stop. And the first thing that went through my head, oh my God, you missed the picture. I thought, because I hadn't even thought about it until all of a sudden I was slowing down and I'm thinking, oh my God, I just missed the picture. I got my hands up in the air. My face is all contorted. I'm screaming. I'm kind of stumbling to a stop. No, I want that guy in 72 who was just gliding across the finish line. (laughs) And so I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that is the stupidest thing ever. You know, here you are, you just won the games and you're thinking about the stupid picture. I look at it as that as I visualized every, I visualized what the final picture would look like, you know? Right, sure. And yeah, and so then all of a sudden, this guy with two security guys on him, just as I stopped, starts, boom, coming up and banging into me. And what's he got in his hand? But an American flag. And he's like, eh, putting this flag right in my face, like, take the flag, take the flag. And so I go, okay. And so I took the flag and two security guys carried him off. Okay. You have to remember, this was 1976. Um, That was our bicentennial year. Uh, Mm -hmm. Our country, we were, this was three weeks after the biggest 4th of July celebration this country's ever had. Patriotism is at its height. It's in Montreal. I would probably say 70, 80 percent of the people in the stands are Americans. American yep. flags everywhere. Um, our bicentennial year, all these things together. And now I got this flag in my hand. I got a camera because I did this show for the Canadian Film Board, um, uh, which was the official documentary of after the games. And it was called Visions of Eight. And they took eight people from eight different countries and just really followed their experience. And I look at these guys and literally four or five feet in front of me is this lens looking right at me, you know, as I'm slowing down and I got this flag in my hand and I'm thinking, do I put it up in the air? It's a little hot doggy, you know, it's a little <laughs> too much, you know, a little hot you doggy. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hot doggy. I mean, I've never seen anybody at the finish line with, with the flag and, but I thought, you know, maybe maybe I should just take one time, put it up in the air, you know. And so I said, okay, here it goes. So anyway, I take the flag, I put it up in the air. 80,000 people go crazy. And I, I put it down. I well, kind of worked. Um, <laughs> and then I thought, but that's enough. And so I keep walking. One other time I kind of punched this guy with the flag and that was it. And I thought, what I'll do is I'll wrap up the flag, go over to my back, because taking the victory lap with the flag, I thought it's just too much, you know? Too over the top, too over the top. Yeah, too over the top. And um, so anyway, I went over to my bag and I rolled it up and I put it in my bag. And then all of a sudden I hear these boos coming out of the stadium. And I look up and, and here's this guy sprinting across the infield. Okay, and he's got two security guards after him and the two security guards about 20 feet from me tackle him, 
boom, down he goes on the grass. And this guy is looking at me with this look on his face. And what's he got in his hand? A flag. And what? what is going on? Yeah, this is American flags everywhere. It's our bicentennial year. So right. I look at him and he's got this terrible look on his face, you know, like, look, blink, ah, there's the flag. So anyway, I run over to By him. By the way, that that might be the worst French Canadian impersonation yes, that I've probably ever heard. Was, Caitlin, yeah, just saying. Anyway, ook, I run ook, over. Ook, ook. Uh, I run over and get his flag. And now I got two flags and I'm thinking, oh, well. And so anyway, I rolled that one up and put it away. And uh, then took my victory lap without the flag. But that kind of started the tradition wow. of, of of a flag at the finish line. Today, it's a little more than that. They got like their PR person standing right there with the flag and put it up. And, you know, the, who's got the biggest flag and this and that. Um, but that was very spontaneous. You know, spontaneous. I was not planning on doing that. I love, but I lo- also love your your self visualization of of all like like you're saying of everything that you could have been thinking at that moment. You're like, I hope this picture looks good because I, I I I totally understand that. That's yeah. That's, I mean, I, I visualized that picture. It was sitting this empty space on my wall for three years, and I felt like kind of running back, you know, to the finish line and cross it a second <laughs> time. You know, like a reshoot. A, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, I should have, but I didn't, but I didn't. And then when I saw it, that picture was on the cover of Sports Illustrated next week. And I remember the caption next to it was all, it said, all right, in big capitals. And I, I love the picture more than I did the other one, because that was my emotions. Um, that's how I felt at the time. It was this just a giant release that 12 years of my life, and it was over and I did it. I mean, that was that was a time when all of that meant, it feels like, so much more than it does now. Unfortunately, um, I agree. Don't you, don't you think so? I mean, we all, yeah. the, the Olympics were, they were the Olympics with, with capital O. Yeah. Um, the, the, the decathlon is the world's greatest athlete. That was, the, that was the phrase. Doesn't help my golf swing. Yes, it doesn't. Doesn't it help does, my golf yeah. swing. Titles don't work out on the golf course. But anyway, go on. Don't you tell the ball? Don't you know who's yeah, about who, to hit who's you? hitting you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's going to be smacking you? And it doesn't work. Yeah, does doesn't yeah, work. Doesn't work. It, it's very humbling. Wheaties box, all of that stuff. I, I I just think that our 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 culture was so much more focused on unified this stuff was like that. The seventy six games was the highest rated Olympic games of all time. I believe it. They were getting in the seventy shares. What, 70 share? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like 72. For, okay. So for, for people listening who are not hip to ratings. Yeah. The, the, so it's a, the, Caitlin is saying the 70 share is what the, the, they got today. A hit show has a 1.3 rating. Yeah. 1.3 is a massive hit. It was yeah. a 7 yeah. zero. 70 share. Well, you got to realize a couple of things. Um, what had happened in 72, four years earlier, unfortunately, with the Israeli yep. um, thing, uh, sparked a lot of interest in the games, and people were wondering what's going to happen here four years later. Um, it was the last Olympics with no cable industry. Mm. HBO didn't start, I think, until 78, 79 was ESPN started. And then the cable industry came in and really fractionalized the viewing audience, gave them so many more options. But back then at 76, it was just ABC, NBC, and CBS. And ABC had the games, 
It was Jim McKay. It was, they've been doing it for years. Rune Arledge, you know, yep. Um, yep. all those people. Um, and um, you had the right time zones. Everything could be done live. That's a good point. It was in Montreal. Um, and being our bicentennial year, uh, patriotism was very, very high at that time. Um, and so you had all of these things together um, that everybody watched. And now, so you, when you're done with that, what did you think your next, because you knew you were going to retire. So what right. I find that fascinating, that you knew no matter what, that was it, you were moving on. What was the next move for you? You've just won the gold medal. You're the world's greatest athlete. Now, do you have a, did you have that moment of, all right, now what? Um, actually, the next morning I got up and I went into the bathroom and the medal was sitting there on bathroom counter. No clothes on. Took the medal, picked it up, put it around my neck. Walked to the mirror. <laughs> looked in the mirror. And said to myself, oh, my God. What did you just do? Did I, on a personal note, did I build this person, this image up so big that I'm stuck with him the rest of my life. Because there was a lot more to me than just the games. Um, and I got scared. And I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, maybe I'm stuck with this character I'm playing, you know, for the rest of my life. I'm, and there was so much more to me than just that. Now, I look back on it many years later, not at the time, but I look back on that experience and you go like, why did you do that? You know, why were you just so intense and trying to prove yourself and this and that? You know, I was a dyslexic kid. Um, uh, I didn't do well in school, especially grade school, because the words just didn't pop up off the piece of paper. And you're so scared to go to school because you're not a good reader, you know. And then finally, in fifth grade, I found sports. And all of a sudden, this was where I could go and, you know, feel good about myself. You know, go on the football field and take a guy who's a good student, good reader and clean his clock, you know, and, you know, that's a good feeling when you're young, you know, and I thought I love this stuff, you know, <laughs> but it kind of built up a pattern. And not that I really thought about it. Also having identity issues, you know, prove your masculinity, prove you're a man, you know, all these types of things all combined into me becoming so obsessed with what I was doing. If I didn't have all those things, I, I'm actually very happy for all those things because it made me who I am. Um, uh if I would have been average like anybody else, okay, student, you know, this, that, sports would have come along. It would not have been that important. Mm. You know, I didn't need sports. I could do other things and and get recognition and feel good about myself, you know. Um, remember uh, the movie City Slickers with Billy Crystal? Yep. And Jack Palance and Billy Crystal are sitting around the campfire. And Billy Crystal says to the wise cowboy, you know, what's the secret to life? Jack Palance looks over and goes, one thing. And then carries on with the conversation. 
So you're kind of sitting there, one thing, okay? And so finally, Billy Crystal eventually, a couple of seconds later, goes, hey, well, 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 what's the one thing? And he goes, that's for you to find out. Mm. That is such a true statement. Everybody has their one thing in life, you know, mm. that they just can't wait to get out of bed in the morning to go do it. Okay. Mine happened to be in sports. That was my thing. But because of that, I could grow as a human being. I could help the identity issues. I could help being dyslexic and go to college and do all the things I had to do. But sports was my one thing where I could win. I could conquer. I could learn about myself. I learned about hard work, about dedication, about all the things that go into something like that. And I think that's a lesson for everybody. Everybody has a, I was like, if it's taken away in one area of your life, okay, Mm -hmm. it's given to you even more in some other area, okay? Your job is to go find that other area. You may be a great musician. You may be, you may be dyslexic, but in your head, you have phenomenal stories, you know, and a, a great storyteller. It, you know, it can be in sports. It can be anything, dance, what, whatever it may be, an actor, you know, um, uh, and you got to find that one thing, you know, and I was lucky. I found it at a young age. And we'll be right back after this. Summer is almost here. Are you ready to throw open your windows or throw them away? If they're drafty, foggy, or impossible to clean, talk to your friends at Window World. Window World specializes in home transformation with beautiful, energy-efficient windows, entry doors, and siding, featuring Energy Star certification and the good housekeeping seal. Call 1-800-WINDOW-WORLD Schedule your free consultation and tell them you heard about it here on Literally with Rob Lowe. Window World, America's exterior remodeler. Well, you know, no two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas, vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activity allow for such an infinite number of different travel experiences. I mean, I love Texas. I go like this. The people of Dallas, the culture of Austin, and I love any time I get there. If you're a beach person, well, you can go have fun in the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're a rugged vacation type, there's campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, golf is nuts there, foodies, you got your Texas barbecue and live music in Austin. And of course, if you're into the cowboy scene, you can certainly find it there. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom trip matched to their own unique interests. So visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and forget. Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today, rinse tomorrow, and voila! Enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing. It's the secret to a hassle-free clean bathroom that many are discovering. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner has proven its effectiveness 
on shower glass, fixtures, tiles, and more, ensuring everything shines with minimal effort. This product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to Effortless Clean. I'm fascinated with the notion that even then, you knew that you were also another person. Yeah. Oh, I knew it since I was young. Yeah. But you didn't, and if, you didn't talk about it. Of course, no, of course not. I mean, what, what was the, when was the first time that you realized that you were different in that way? And, and what, oh. what was that like growing up with that? I mean, mm. it'd be hard enough as an adult, but you had that awareness as, oh, yeah. as, a, as a kid. As a kid. I was never comfortable with my identity, even as a very young kid. Um, parents would leave. I was fascinated by my sister's clothes about um, never comfortable in my own shoes, fascinated with all that kind of stuff. But you keep your mouth shut. You know, this is I'm talking the 50s and 60s. You know, yeah. it wasn't even a word back then. You know, so um, I just I. I found ways to just distract myself from those feelings. Sports, what a great way to do that. You know, that's mm-hmm. a good way. Prove your manhood, you know? Yep. But those feelings, and I had times where it was worse, sometimes where my identity was a little bit easier. Um, but um, uh, it was always there. It's not like you can take two aspirin to get plenty of sleep and wake up the next morning and you're fine. You know, it's always going to be there. You're kind of stuck with it. And for anybody who's struggling with something like this, and every journey is different. um, It's how, for me personally, how am I going to deal with this? You know, and my story went on for a long, 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 long time, you know, but it never, never, ever went away. I just tried to find ways to to distract myself, to not think about it, to do other things. Um, and so I was fortunate um, after the games, and now all of a sudden this was gone. Um, and literally that night, uh, ABC came to me and says, hey, we want to talk. Um, and I went, uh, <laughs> me? I was living on $10,000 a year. In a hundred and forty-five dollar a month apartment, okay, wow, and training my butt off, and they, you know, they said we want to talk to you, and I went, oh my god, well, I had this guy. You couldn't have a manager back then, you know, you couldn't have any of that stuff. It was true. Yeah, you couldn't amateur be a pro stuff. Yeah, amateur, yeah, yeah, yeah. I made no money out of that sport, and so um, uh, I had a guy that I was thinking if I do do well, and there's somebody like calls after this is over with. Um, you don't do it for those reasons, but if it happens, you know, yeah, I got to look into my future. Sure. And boy, ABC called and, you know, yeah, uh, I started working right away. And then, you know, so my distraction was just going to work, you know, 
Now, and then eventually it became family. It came all these other things when I, which were a great distraction. And, and of course, my kids yelled at me, oh, is that all we were is a distraction? <laughs> <laughs> I go, no, 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 no. It was a distraction for me, who I was. You know, that was, yeah. I loved being, you know, a dad. I loved, you know, I had. Ten, 10 kids raised, you know, six genetic four step and raised these amazing, amazing kids. It's, you know, it's what I've been able to accomplish. And I'm very proud of that and proud of all my kids, all 10 of them. They've all done amazing. And um, but I just got into all those other things. And then here it was, you know, 50 years later. You know, all the kids are raised and I'm still dealing with myself. You know, did you did, did you ever have anybody you could you could share what you were going through with? Very like real who 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 really knew no. who you were and, and what you were about? I almost called you. Just kidding. Um, I would have been there for you. Yeah, you would have been there for me. I know, Rob. You know, I would have. Um, no, I, I had a couple of people. Honestly, I can uh, through those years, I can count probably the, pre- the people on one hand, uh, a couple of friends. um, it was always great if I could talk to somebody about it, okay? Yeah. Um, and I had one in particular, a girl named Wendy in New York. She worked for Good Morning America. Um, we became friends. I kind of told her my story. And she was very open-minded and good and this and that. She told me her story, which is probably even more interesting. Uh, but anyway, um, <clears throat> And so we just became, and we talked over a 30-year period, you know, two or three times a week, almost every week. Um, uh, I could bring it out, married a couple times, um, a little bit with them, but not a lot, you know. Um, But I could at least open up some with them. Um, And so, um, no, there really wasn't anybody that I could really talk to. Um, I got to about 1984, and I was really struggling with the issues from 1984 for a six year period to 1990. Yeah, that six year period, uh, I was a mess. OK, I just had gone through my second divorce um, <clears throat> and uh, I lived in Malibu right over that hill over there um, in a little dinky place. Um, I literally stayed there for six years. Uh, doing a little bit of work, but I wasn't even motivated about work. I could care less. Um, And um, I, for the first time, got a therapist. Now, you don't Mm. know how hard it is back in the 80s to find a therapist that deals with gender dysphoria. Okay? There's no way. Today, you get this little computer and you go, you know, therapist, gender, you have a thousand of them come up. By the okay. way, was that phrase was that phrase even in existence then? We had had um, Christine Jorgensen was the first one um, who was wound up in the media. She was in the military, stationed overseas, came back uh, as Christine Jorgensen, and uh, was kind of overwhelmed by the media coverage because she did not like it and did not want it. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like so many people, they just want to go on with their life. Okay. Yep. I mean, it's so simple. They want to blend in society and go on with their life and, and make something of themselves. 
And, um, but also Renee Richards came out in 1977. That was the first time I was ever aware of trans life. Yeah. And she was the first one, trans, and she loved tennis, but then wanted to play on the women's tour. And, you know, the media hmm, can be brutal. Right, Um, right, right. Yeah, and they were really quite tough on that. This subject, this issue is certainly not even close to where it is today. You know, I mean, this issue is all front. We can talk about that, too. Yeah. Um, But um, uh, back then, and I, I watched her, and I was kind of amazed at the guts she had to do that. And I'm, you know... I did meet her one time at an event. Couldn't talk to her about it. Hey, you know what? I'm dealing with the same. I got the Mm. same issues you do, except I'm kind of stuck. I don't even know how to deal with it. I hadn't even been to a therapist about it yet. And uh, anyway, uh, so I just, you know, I just said hi and and moved on. And I, I always regretted doing that. You know, here's somebody I could talk to. That was the person. That was that was the moment. Hey, let yeah. me get your number. Go yeah, yeah let me get your number. Yeah, and it just I couldn't do it. I was too scared. Mm. And um, so that's kind of where it was at. So when I got into the eighties um, and just got through a second divorce, um, uh, I I was actually watching TV one night and uh, on the news, and they had a gender clinic in Orange County. And I went, oh, my God, there's a gender clinic over here. So I, you know, back in those days, you call up information. Remember? <laughs> yeah, sure. Remember those days? Yeah, 411. Yeah. What yeah. city, please? Yeah, yeah. What city? And um, so I called and I got the name or they they hooked me up. And so I I didn't tell them who I was. And I said, I'm dealing with a lot of these issues. Do you have any therapists up in the L.A. area? Gave me uh, like. Four. One of them was a lady. And I thought I'd much rather talk. I couldn't talk to a guy about this. And um, so I called her up, went in and for the first time actually sat down and started talking about these issues. So for about four and a half years, um, I just tried my best to deal with it. Um, Honestly, I thought I would transition before I'm 40. You know, uh, which would be, uh, you know, uh, 1990. And I was on hormones. I, I had my electrolysis done, so much of it done. I had so many things I had done. And the media started kind of catching on. Well, Bruce is looking a little different, you know. Mm. Um, I would cross-dress and go out, but I never ever talk to anybody. My voice would give everything away because my voice kind of sucks from that standpoint. But there's <laughs> nothing I can do it. And you know what? I don't care anymore. So anyway, it is what it is. Hopefully it's, you're not going to worry about the pitch. Hopefully I have something to say. Okay. <laughs> so um, anyway, so I never talked to anybody, never did anything, never went anywhere, just drove around, you know, um, and uh, I got pretty good at it, so no, I never got caught. So, so you would go out as your true self, yeah, but not, but not really interact with with people. Society, not at all. Just to get out, uh, be at a hotel, giving a speech, 
go out late at night and, you know, walk around the hotel or walk around out. They have big gardens or, you know, certain hotels I like better than others. But, you know, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Opryland Hotel, great place. Yeah. You can walk around in there with all the bushes. It's a beautiful place to walk. Yeah. I'm struck with how lonely that must be. I, I mean, I, I, I'm just... Oh, it's extraordinarily lonely. So much empathy and sympathy. It, it's, it makes perfect sense, obviously, when you tell the story. But hearing you talk about it, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with loneliness for you. Um, those years, I was not a good parent. I had four kids. I was too busy struggling with my own issues and my own self. Um, uh, I kind of, I very much regret that, that I wasn't there more for my young kids, you know? Um, and so, but I was extraordinary. I have always been, because of who I am, always kind of been a loner. I trade for the games by myself. Yeah. By myself. Um, I had a couple of friends uh, near the end that would go training with me, but I didn't have a coach. I didn't have nothing. I was self-motivated, but I was very well coached. I, I trained with a lot of great athletes and in individual events. And, uh, but I basically did it on my own. Um, uh, same, same thing. And then I was alone all the way through those years. I've always felt that I never felt like I fit in anywhere. I didn't fit in with the guys. Okay. I don't fit in with the girls. I'm kind of stuck here in the middle, you know? Right. And that pattern still sets up where today, I mean, even playing golf, most of the time I play by myself. I like, I like the peace and quiet. I like to work on the game. I go out and play five holes. Uh, three balls a hole, you know, sure what, it's not too crowded. You can do that. Uh, mm -hmm. Stay out of everybody else's way. Once in a while, I'll play with somebody else, you know, but not that often. Um, I've just always been able to deal with things on my own. And uh, same thing back in the 80s. Um, uh, boy, was I a loner. It was very difficult. But then I got to 89. I was 39. And I thought I was going to transition before I'm 40. And I could. Now, why? You've said, what, what, what was it about 40 that you that was like, this is when I'm going to transition? And then my other question is, did you always know that transitioning was going to be the ultimate end game for you? Every journey is different. Yeah, okay, that's every right. Every right. journey is different, you know? And this is my journey, my story. Everybody else has, there's no right way to do it. Right. Okay. There's just no right way to do it. It's what's right for you. Um, and uh, I, I just, I, I just couldn't go any further. I, you know, and I thought to myself, you got to get on with life. You know, you're sitting in this little dinky leased house, you know, um, and. You're just rotting away, you know? And so I need to get, you know, back out. I, if I can't do this, because I can't do it, okay? Uh, I got to move on in life. And about six months later, um, 
because I never even went out. I was actually at a golf tournament at Riviera and um, uh, Candace Garvey and Steve Garvey. You know them. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Candace knew Chris, and she was just in the middle of finishing up, hopefully, this divorce. And she goes, oh, she can come down and this and that. Anyway, Chris winds up coming down there. I meet her. And we hit it off, you know, from day one. And uh, uh, we were married five and a half months later. She had four kids. I had four kids. We tried our best to try to blend that family. Mm -hmm. Never an easy job. Um, <laughs> almost then it's easier to transition. Yeah, that it is. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. With exes amazing. and this and that. And, oh, my right. God. But anyway, side story. So anyway, that's by the uh, way, that's a hell of a side story. Yeah, I know. The, the, We're not going there. I'm telling you, we, oh we don't need to God. go there. Yeah. Right. And so anyway, um, you know, we kind of blended this family the best we possibly could. And um, uh, we, you know, Chris kind of came in and took over. She was just honestly a Beverly Hills housewife at the time. But she mm -hmm. was always around very strong business people and had, you know, great skills. And she goes, we're firing everybody uh, that works for me, and uh, we're getting you back to work. And so she just started, you know, uh, you know, getting the getting the ball rolling again, you know, because I had not for the last six years. And um, that part of the the rest is history at that point. Yeah, yeah, Literally. the rest is kind of history. Yeah, we we kind of got the ball rolling, and um, <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, there's a uh, ball like in Indiana Jones. Yeah, it was that one coming him. down, rolling down behind you. Yeah. Yes. 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 We're, the, we're the culture running yeah, yeah. from the ball. You got rolling. Oh, I Thanks. know. I know. Oh, I remember saying to Kim one time about this is before anything. Something about clothes, women's clothes. And, you know, because she's always in that. And uh, looks at me and goes, well, you see, I am fashion. Amazing. And I went, you know what? You're right. You know, <laughs> what you wear becomes fashion. You yeah. know? It's, yeah. It's like, it's like Ty Cobb says, it ain't bragging if you've done it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it isn't. And uh, I always remember that. Anyway, so, um, uh, yeah, the family, uh, you know, that was the next... 23 years. Then Chris and I had two kids, Kendall and Kylie. They've done okay for themselves. Yeah, those, those two seem to have done fun, just uh, yeah. fine. It's, yeah. It's, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah. So that, she meets you at, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, from what you're telling me, one of the lowest points of your life. Big time, yeah. And and how much is she oh, 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 did, aware? It's almost like she kind of saved your life in a weird way, but also like it feels like how much is she aware and 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 because it it also takes you off the, the track you're going oh big time the 40 year old and it's 40 and i'm going to transition right and yeah and now all of a sudden yeah, you're going to be 50 in transition didn't even think of that i thought i just threw it out you know threw it out yeah i just i can't do it i can't no. do it i just can't, can't do, do it. it so let's do the best we can actually i started working out more started doing all kinds of stuff um I mean, I told Chris my issues, you know, but I right. never thought that at some point down the line, you know, 
25 years later that I would ever transition. You know, it was just it wasn't a possibility. I was in this. I was going to be committed to the family. And uh, but these are my issues. This is what I deal with. And, um, you know, she was OK. Um, and so I, we just went on with life and raised, you know, again, the distraction thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> which my kids hate when I say that. But it's not them. A distraction from myself. Sure. And they were wonderful. I, I loved being a parent. I love raising kids. I love carpooling, taking them to school. So that really, and that and work. And then we started doing the show. Um, everybody's working. It was, you know, it, they were great years. Great years. Yeah. Hold the thought. We'll be right back. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash Rob. That's harrys.com slash Rob for a $3 trial set. Shopping for humans is hard. Shopping for your dog is easy. Thanks to Bark. Every month, we deliver toys and treats just for your pup. They deserve to be spoiled every month. At Bark, we send your dog a whole collection of toys and treats made just for them every single month. Whether it's our fun plush toys or our ultra-tough toys from Super Chewer, we give your dog exactly what they want. And for a limited time, we will double your first box for free. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com Rob. BarkBox is so convenient and delivers straight to your door and more importantly, right to your dog. I can't wait to try out BarkBox. My dogs need their toys, particularly the chewable toys. Sign up now at BarkBox.com slash Rob for an exclusive offer. This ad is now over. Let's get back to petting our dogs. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here, there. But when I, when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's, I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. 
SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. People who are alcoholics always have like that piece inside of them that, that needs to be filled. And we and and we fill it with with you know drinking and drugs and things like that. I'm right. stunned that that was never a part of your story. I never did drugs. Never was into alcohol. That's amazing. I can see to how me. people. I can see how people get into that, but I just never. I I always even I was struggling with all of these things, and still today. Um. I like myself and I don't need to take a chemical or a drug to um, have a good time. You know, um, uh, I just never needed that. I'll deal with my issues on my own if that's the case. I don't need something else. Uh, I like being myself. Caitlin, I find that fascinating. That is such a dichotomy. You're saying I like myself. I can be myself, but yet you you also were but dealing not. with that doesn't mean doesn't mean dealing with yourself is easy. And yet I didn't think it was at all possible um, I, at that yeah. time, those times in my life. I just said, you know what, you, you idiot, you can't do it. You know, you just you, you can't do it. And that went on for years and years and years. After 23 years, Chris and I went our separate directions um, my identity, I don't, it was not a big part of us separating. There was so many other bigger issues out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but that was just, um, that was just uh, the only thing I think because of my frustration with myself, I might've been a little bit, uh, shorter with her, you know, um, near the end. Uh, but there was a lot of, boy, there was a lot of things going on. Um, and then all of a sudden, oh, we didn't have any issues. You know, we just, you know, it was calm. You know what? You know, it's not working. I know it's not working. Um, you go get, you know, you have this house. I'll go find another place. And she even found the place. She decorated the place. She did everything, you know, in Malibu. Right. And, um, she said, I want you to feel comfortable. And that was it, you know? Um, and so, uh, and there I was back in Malibu. Yep. In this, it was a nicer house. Yeah. I leased a a beach house in Paradise Cove. Doesn't get any better than that. Nope. Right on the bluff, looking out over the ocean. And there I was. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm right back where I was before. All alone, back in Malibu. What the hell am I going to do with my life? You know, been dealing with this stuff my entire life. You know, this is, I'm like about 63 at the time. What am I going to do? 
I don't want to rot here. You know, I don't want to. Nobody. Rot. So few people change anything at sixty-three. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're kind of stuck in your ways. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I thought, you know what? First thing I got to, I got to get back into therapy. You know, and try to figure this thing out. And found a. It's a lot easier to find therapist that deals with yeah. the subject nowadays. Talk to her, this and that, and I'm thinking, you know, and the big problem was uh, the paparazzis and the media. They were all over you. I mean, all, everybody watched that. Oh, all over him. All, all over you. me. Um, yeah. I mean, I would have four or five of them outside the gate. As soon as I came out, they would start following you. I mean, I had helicopters flying over Sherwood, you know, I mean, the list went on and on and on. And it was yeah. just horrible and writing all sorts of stupid stuff. I mean, go on the grocery line and there's, you know, I think it was Us Magazine, some woman's body with my head on top. You know, <laughs> I'm going, Rob, I'm going. Is it- and my kids got to see this, you know, and, you know, Stupid pictures of me and, um, oh, it was just, it, it, nobody knew what's going on and they're all wondering and, and it was just literally hell, you know, it was, it was hell. Um, my life was not my own. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it just it. wasn't my own. And I started thinking, you know. Uh, and talking to my therapist. And then for the first time, transitioning actually became an, an option. One, I don't want to die that way. <laughs> right. I even thought about in, a, in the casket, right in my will. Okay, dress me in a really cute outfit in my casket because that's the way <laughs> I want to go to heaven. That's how bad you get with this stuff, you know? It's amazing. Yeah, and it's amazing. Yeah, and so, um, you know, I, talking to my therapist and this and that. So I, I said, first thing I got to do, I got to talk to all my kids. The only one up to that point I ever talked to was Kim. And Kim asked me nine months earlier, "What the hell's going on with you?" And at the time, I thought um, Kim's very open and direct. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, well, you want to know? She had her own house in Beverly Hills. And I said, uh, I'll come over to the house and we'll sit down and talk. And so I sat down with her and told her my story. You know, kind of shocked, but very nice. Um, and I, every time I told anybody, it was like a million pounds. <laughs> really? Off your show. Oh, it was just like, oh, I can breathe. You know, mm. I'm free. I got somebody that I can actually talk to about, you mm-hmm. know? And then she never brought the subject up again. And that kind of, it bothered me that 
she never like called and said, you know, are you okay? Or we never, ever talked about that subject again. Cut to nine months later. I brought it up to her. You know, I says, we talked a long time ago. I said, but, and then I, I never really heard from you again on this. And she goes, honestly, and I respect her for her. She says, I just didn't know how, if I should talk about it. Sure, you know? of course, makes perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. So, and I didn't bring the subject up anymore. And so she just never brought it up again. And it's hard. It's hard enough to talk to your parents, step parents. Yeah. Sometimes oh, about, know, yeah. you know, subjects way less fraught yeah. than transitioning. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then I slowly, uh, over the next few months, brought every kid in, all 10 of them, one at a time. I didn't want them to all gang up on me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and yeah. And uh, one at a time, sat them down, told them what's going on. These are my options. They, they all knew what's going on, you know. I mean, Brandon and Brody, their their mom had talked to them about the issues because she obviously knew. And Bert and Casey, same thing. Their mom, Christy, had talked to them about the issues. And uh, Chris, a little bit, I guess. Um, and so we sat down and talked to him. Um, I started with Brandon, uh, who's my musician and... Um, it, very introspective and he's a musician, songwriter, producer, you know, he's one of those guys, you know? So I thought, I'll start with Brandon. He'll, you know, although we've never talked about it, I'm pretty sure his mother has talked to him about. And so anyway, about three quarters of the way through the conversation, he goes, dad, he says, I've always been so proud that you're my father. You know, he goes, if I go to the airport, and I show them my ID. They look at it and see Brandon Jenner. Oh, is your father Bruce Jenner? You know? And he'd go, yeah. And the people would say, oh, you know, Bruce comes through here all the time. He's always so nice and this and that. And I always have nice things to say. And um, see, because I've always been so proud to be your son. And then he looks at me and he goes, but you know what? I've never been more proud of you than I am right now. Amazing. Heavy stuff. Amazing. Cried over that one. Still makes you cry today. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, a good start. <laughs> they weren't all quite like that. They weren't all quite <laughs> like that. But a good start. And I went through all 10 kids. Was that the most surprising reaction you got? That was certainly the nicest reaction, you know. Um, and still at this point, I didn't know if I could pull this thing off. The last one. I had to go to um, was my pastor. Um, and uh, I am a person, I don't go to church every day, but I mean, I'm, I'm a person of faith, believe in God. And if anybody has any challenges in life, you know, um, and they have any faith whatsoever in their soul, they always ask, Why? And you, I would ask, like, God, why did you, is there a reason for this? Okay, why are these things inside me that I can't get rid of, that I have a really hard time dealing with? On and on, am I doing, is there a reason you put me on this earth? Am I doing the right thing? Right. You know? 
and you ask that question. And because you always think of, okay, that day you go up to the pearly gates, stand there in front of God and say, hey, did I do a good job? You know, did I do okay? You know, and I always wondered what his answer would be. Oh, well, you know, you should have transitioned. You could have changed the world. You could have did this. You could have done that. And um, so I went to my pastor. I told him my whole story. Uh, he had seen a lot because of the rag papers were all over the place and paparazzis and this and that. But I told him my story and in God's eyes, how does he see me? You know? And, you know, he says, God loves you and on and on and on. And the next day, um, I was thinking about all these things and I, I was into RC helicopters. You know, these remote control Highly powerful, very quick, the hardest thing in the world to do. And I was, because I needed to get out of the house. And so that was one way I got out of the house, work on these helicopters. And so um, I was out in this open field and I put the helicopter down and I'm thinking about what had happened the night before. And I go for a walk. All by my little lonesome, out in the woods, through the trees, Thinking to myself, you know what? Maybe God did this because he wants me to make a change in the world. Make a difference. This is a big subject. Bigger than the games, bigger than all that sort of stuff. People don't die at the Olympic Games. People are murdered for being trans. It's the most marginalized community in the world. Um, it's totally misunderstood. Um, maybe me living my life authentically and trying to talk about this subject can bring some light to a lot of, especially young people who are struggling. You know? And because I had thought about suicide at times, you know, during over the last few years, I thought about that because the paparazzis were just so ridiculously bad. I thought that's kind of the easy way out, but I can see how somebody would get to something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, you know, that would be the stupidest thing in the world to silence my voice. You know, I said, that doesn't do anything. You know, okay, it's a thing in the paper. You know, Bruce Jenner committed suicide. Um, And then they go on to the next thing. I said, so maybe... I stay here and my voice should be heard. So that was kind of the turning point right there. That walk, the walk in the woods after the conversation with your pastor. Yeah, that was kind of the one. Yeah, that conversation with myself to say, I don't want to silence my voice. Okay, I have no idea what the reaction of people is going to be. You know, I, I could be, that is the biggest freak I've ever seen to, you know, oh, my God, trying to make a difference in the world. You know, it can go anyway. Yeah. So I thought, okay, how do I do it? My first phone call. Alan Nirob. <laughs> Come on. The, by the way, this is my publicist, Alan yes. Nirob, who, yes. who has worked with me for publicity Forever, Forever and, and, and represented Bruce and then now Caitlin. Now Caitlin. Yeah. But 
I Wait, that's my favorite. Alan. I, th- yeah. I thought I, you were going to tell me you went, to, I called a Nobel Peace winning, prize yeah, winning. No, no, no. I called Alan Nero. He could fix no, it. I called, yeah. I called Rob Lowe's publicist. Yeah, I, Rob Lowe's publicist. See, back in the 80s, when I was going through these struggling years and the, the, the media, I mean, it wasn't like it is today. They were wondering. And Alan had just got, you know, he went from being a secretary or whatever he's to do from the mailroom to becoming a um, an actual agent. And they yep. gave him me. I was with Dale Olson and all Dale Olson. Oh, yeah. Yes. Now we got some guys back then. Yeah. Anyway, so. Uh, and so I uh, uh, I had to tell him my story back in the 80s, you know. I said, this is what's going on. I had my manager, uh, my lawyer, a guy named Alan Rothenberg, and Alan in the room back in the 80s, and I told him my story. This is what I'm dealing with. Uh, Because the New York Times was trying to do an article that I was a Mm cross-dresser. Because I had been on hormones, things are changing a little bit, this and that. Um, And I said, I just, I can't do it. I can't have that come out. You know, I got all these other things that I'm doing. Can't have that come out. So um, Alan was able to shut the New York Times down by basically saying, uh, I'm Bruce's you know, publicist. And are you kidding me? Bruce <laughs> Jenner, world's greatest athlete. Yeah, right. Jesus, don't write this. It's so stupid. You know, so he was able to shut it down. And then I didn't work for a long time, so I didn't use Rogers and Cowan. I ran, saw Alan a couple of times, you know, at some event. But and then when I started doing Keeping Up, they had their own publicist, so I didn't need a publicist. So now I didn't even I didn't know if he was even still at Rogers and Cowan. So I just call information. Rogers and Cowan, Beverly Hills. Uh, just one second, put it in. Secretary, somebody picks up. I said, uh, Alan, you're up, please. She goes, just one second. No way, he's still here. Find out now <laughs> he's president of RNC. He's not a cub reporter anymore. He's now yeah. president of RNC. Yeah. And boy, Alan picks up the phone immediately. Because <laughs> right. obviously he had been seeing all the crap that I've been going through over the yeah. last you know years. And picks up immediately and says, um, how are you doing? And I said, fine. I said, I need to talk to you. And he goes, okay, uh, this is like Thursday. I'll be at your house on Saturday. So he came out to the beach house that I was leasing at the time. And uh, we sat down and I said, if uh, I was pretty sure I was going to do it, but I had to do it right. I had to do it, at least give it my best shot to try to do it right. Because not just for me and my family, the two most important things, but for the community. You know, it's such, I mean, we bringing this issue forward. And so um, I said to him, uh, you know, we talked about how to do it. I suggested Vanity Fair as a print ad. Uh, just because they were very credible, but also they're a little on the edgy side. You know, they do mm-hmm. kind of some funky stuff. I thought that would be 
Yep. And um, obviously we have to do uh, something on television. Uh, we both loved Diane Sawyer. The because best. I had I to love, take this issue. I had to take this issue out of the gutter, out of the tabloids, and do it on a hard news story on the network with a real news credible person. There was nobody better than Diane Sawyer. So we wound up putting those things together, you know, um, over the next uh, couple of weeks. And uh, I remember Alan calling me and saying, well, you got the cover of Vanity Fair. Now, I'm technically still bruised at the time. (laughs) I go, oh, my God. Um, And anyway, we put this whole thing together. And it's been it's been great. Um, Is it easy? No, not even close. Uh, You know, you set one set of circumstances uh, and one set of challenges. You replace it with a whole net of circumstances and a whole new set of challenges. Okay, life's not easy, you know. Yeah. Uh, But the bottom line is. I wake up in the morning. And I'm happy. I mean, that's pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah, there's times where, you know, things are tough or kids or this or that and all that sort of thing. But the identity issues are all gone. Yeah. So I go on and live my life. By the way, this has been a, such a magnificent talk. And I'm 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 blown. I'm just blown away with the amount. Because we, we didn't know each other that well. We would see each other. I've, I've known of you. Obviously, I feel like I grew up grew up with you. Like everybody in America, I was transfixed yeah. with the reintroduction to the real you. Yeah. And, and thought it was so beautifully handled. I'll never forget seeing the Vanity Fair cover. Ever. It's an amazing cover. And, but like... That was You're, okay. Here's here's the deal on the Vanity Fair. Yeah, cover. yeah, me, yeah. Tell me about that because you—that's a beautiful, amazing, like, like classic. So they say I got Vanity Fair. So I had a few things I had to do between now and then, and then Alan calls <laughs> up and says Annie Leibovitz is going to do, um, uh, the photo shoot. And I'm going, Are you kidding me? Annie Leibovitz met her, came out here now. At this point, Diane Sawyer hasn't even been on the air yet. Okay, we're just planning all this sort of stuff. Because Alan wanted, you know, Diane Sawyer, and then like two months, three months, like two months later, you know, then Vanity Fair, and then two months after that, which they came to us eventually. We didn't know at the time, but the ESPY Award would be my first public appearance. Yep. And so... Uh, you won the Arthur Ashe Award. Arthur Ashe Award. Yeah. Yeah. For courage. Anyway, so um, Annie Leibovitz comes to the house. I mean, I've got so much security around this house because nobody knows what's going on. Okay. Um, I had to build a wall for like four months, five months around the front of my house because I was having paparazzis taking pictures from another hill. I live on top of a hill. Yep. Um, so I could even just walk out to my pool, you know, and when Annie came under complete, you know, secrecy, 
that she was here. I mean, we built a studio in my garage, took all the cars out. She built a studio down there. Um, and all this going on, I had never had my hair or my makeup done professionally. Okay. At this point, um, I had a stylist. I'm thinking this is, this is ridiculous. I'm the hardest thing in the world in the old days is like buying clothes. Okay. You know, you do it Zappos online or, you know, before that you, you just, you know, it was so difficult. When you know? you're, you're how, how, Caitlin, how tall are you? Uh, well, always six, two. And then the last physical, the lady said, you're six, one. And I go, oh, no, you're not. No, I'm not. You, you mismeasured. <laughs> she goes, she goes, no, you're six, one. I go, no, I'm not. I've always been six, two. Remeasure me. You know, get up there. Yeah. Six, one. I'm thinking this is perfect. You know, I went an inch higher on the heel. Of course. <laughs> Of course. As one does, yeah. yes. And I'm figuring by the time I'm like 90, I'll be a perfect 5'10", 5'11", maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I'm going the right direction anyway. Yes. Tre- and yes. so oh, yes. I'm tall, voice, you name it. There's a million reasons. And uh, so anyway, we take the picture and this and that. And I don't see the picture. Uh, Buzz Bissinger was uh, going to be doing the article. I was with Buzz. Eventually, the two of us uh, wound up doing the book together. Um. And The Secrets of My Life by Caitlyn Jenner. I'm very, very proud of that. And so the first thing that hits is Diane Sawyer. Yeah. Uh, I'm sitting there. Honestly, the only ones I'm worried about are my kids. Okay? Me, I can take anything. Yeah. I'll go hide. I I mean, if it's bad, I'll go hide. Um, I'm good at that. Uh, but I'm worried for my children. And I'm sitting there on the couch. Uh, Chris got the live feed at East Coast feed. And uh, so it, I could, you know, come on at six o'clock in the, in the evening. So I go over there and I got, you know, all that side of the family, Courtney, Kimberly, Chloe and Kendall and Kylie. And I got Kylie sitting here, Kendall sitting here right beside me. I had not seen anything. Oh, the stress. Oh, man, that's I don't know what. I trusted Diane Sawyer and Mark Roberts, who is, you know, her producers. He was the best. They're great. They're very good. Yeah. And love them to death because I told them I don't want it just to be about me. I want it to be about this issue also. You know, how's this going to come out? It started off as a one hour show, but um, Diane said, I can't do this in one hour. So she went to the head of the network, said, I need two hours. The guy goes, okay. That's what happens when you have Diane Sawyer doing it, you know? Yeah. And so next thing you know, now she's got two hours to do this. Um, And about 15 minutes into it, my I'm sitting here with that side of the film, the Kardashian-Jenner side, and... I think you can easily say the most social media family in the world. <laughs> they invented it. Yes, yeah, they invented it. They, they actually invented it. did. They, they, so they did, did invent it. Okay. Yep. And, sure. um, and about 15 minutes into it, social media started in there going crazy. And of course, they're all sitting there with their phones, you know. And it was so positive. Um. I remember the first celebrity to put something out was Lady Gaga. 
And I mean, then everybody, Elton John started doing stuff, this, that, the list went on, all the people that they are around. And it was all so positive. And I really think Kendall and Kylie, because those are the ones I'm really worried about because they're younger, thought, you know, it's going to be okay. You know? Right. My dad's going to be okay. Um, then I was in the other room across the hall. And Alan had come out and he's Mirabs, he's sitting at the in the kitchen on the computer waiting for the Vanity Fair hit online first. And so he's in the other room. I'm shooting I am Kate show I did. And so I'm doing hair and makeup and uh kind of waiting to see if it's When's it, when's it going to hit? And my phone rings. And I look and it's Kendall. And she goes, the Vanity Fair cover's out. And I go, no way. And then Alan comes like 10 seconds later around the corner. He comes around the corner and it says, it's out. And that cover... Now, I had my kids, especially on the Jenner side, the boys, don't make it too, like, sexy, hot, you know. You're 65 years old. Amazing. I said, I get that. I get that. But we did take this one picture, good old Annie Leibovitz, in this little kind of bustier kind of shot. And... uh, even when I was taking it, I'm thinking, I know these son of a guns. They're going to, they, this is what they're going to use. Welcome it's always, it's always the last be, one. I know. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to the, to the female side. Okay. Yeah. They're going to yeah. put you in some little bustier yeah. and the whole thing. Okay. I mm-hmm. said, kind of get it. So anyway, I had not, I had seen a picture. They had a couple of them that Annie had come out like a week before. said, these are probably some of the pictures. I don't know which one they're going to use, but these are some of the pictures. And one of them was that shot. And uh, that picture was a big F you to the world. I had been through so much crap leading up to that. You know, sneaking around media, press, just horrible to me, you know? Um, But, you know, it was a couple of my boys didn't like like it, thought it was a little too hot. But for me, (laughs) I wanted it over the top. I said, I saw that picture and I says, you know what? That's exactly what I wanted. Take this. Yeah. Yep. And, and, um, that was it. I was out. Yeah, I was out. But um, it was, um, yeah, an iconic moment. It got the best cover of the year for, you know, like almost the decade. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was such an iconic cover. And um, that was, to me, you know, saying to the rest of the world, this is what I've been through. I've been through so much stuff. You know, and, you know, it changed the narrative. Oh, Um, Diane Sawyer changed the narrative. Um, It changed the paparazzis. They were still around, but they couldn't 
You know, they couldn't now make up stories and do this and that because I was honest. That changed it there. And then when the Vanity Fair came out, um, it was the same thing. It um, it changed the narrative. You know, now they had to name Caitlin and uh, people were very, very respectful. Okay. How did you come up with the name? Kate? How what was Caitlin? What was the genesis of Caitlin? The name? Do you know how difficult it is to name yourself? I, I can't it. even imagine. Yeah. Think about it. I went through. I could, you could do a whole chapter on just trying to figure out your name. Well, also, you've had so many kids, you've used up half the names you like. Yes, I have. Yes. Um, uh, I had Heather. I had this. I had that through the years. And oh, Heather oh, Jenner. Oh, oh. No, Heather Jenner is two Battle of the Network stars. Yeah. I, that's third I lead on But I Dynasty. never told anybody that until after. But um, I had a few names on a list. And this was even after Diane Sawyer and all of that stuff. I still, but I had a couple of names. And my assistant at the time didn't see that list. They were all, it was all in my head. And said, you know, I always liked the the name Caitlin. And, but you spell it C-A-I-T-L-Y-N. And that was on my list, not spelled that way, but that was on my list of like the top two or three. Mm. And I go, I'm sitting there. Is this, you know, a message from heaven saying, uh, okay. Um, And I just kind of said to myself, you know what? That's it. Let's move on to the next subject. So I say, so I'm talking to Kimberly and uh, about all of this and it's happening. And she goes, oh, my God, what do I call you? I said, well, my name is Caitlin. And she goes, good, you stayed with the caves. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's I went, amazing. And I went, uh no, I'm going with a C. Yes. <laughs> I had to break it to her easily. I said, there's gotta be, you know, a little separation between church and state. You know, I mean you got Yeah. It would have been too much. If I would have gone with a K, the media would have gone crazy. Yeah. But I like that's, the name. So that was it. And eventually it was just that's it. Done. Next subject. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean it's well. The, we could go on all day. Like we could go on. We could. We, we'll, we'll, we part we two. Could go on and on. But there'll, there'll be a part two because uh, yeah. I've always admired you so much. And 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 you know this is your story. Everybody is aware of, and yet the, the nobody really the, knows me. Exact. Nobody really knows you, and to hear the details like this is is riveting. Yeah. I mean, I I, I, I just sat here enthralled, and I'm left with so much empathy for you, and so much. I'm 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 just I'm so happy for you. Yeah. More than no, it's else. it's not, it's nice. It's not easy uh, being trans, um, especially in the public. Um, it can be you know very tough. But the bottom line is, when I get up in the morning, I don't have any of these issues. I'm happy with myself. I've tried to do everything I can to try to make a change in the world. 
Um, and then over the last five years, realized that, you know what, I don't know if I can change the world no matter who I am. You know, um, there's a lot of challenges, um, but you just try to do your best. So when you go up to the pearly gates and I said, hey, how did I do? You know, hopefully says, well, you gave it a good shot. and You did a good job. They'll be sending you to the VIP section. You think so? Yeah. I hope so. Pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. Good. All right. Kaylin, thank you. All right. Well, I had fun. This was a blast. Thank you we'll so much. We'll stay in touch. We'll stay in touch. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All righty. Till then. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. How great was that? It's so fun to be a podcast host, I have to say, because you get people like Caitlin on that, that you feel like you know their story because she's been in the news for so long. And, you know, I knew Caitlin when she was Bruce and knew that story, but to get to ask her questions that I haven't heard asked to her before and just have this long talk that's not on some, you know, Diane Sawyer special, as good as those are, those are great. This podcast format allows a, a totally different experience, and I, I I just had a blast and found that entertaining and interesting, and hopefully you guys did too. Thanks for all the support and listening. Um, show's doing great, and you are a big part of it. So if you haven't subscribed, by the way, please do. And every Thursday, you'll get a little present. You'll wake up, and there'll be a new episode. So um, I will see you next Thursday, and thank you for listening. You have been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe. Produced and engineered by me, Devin Tory Bryant. Executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile. Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Stitcher. The supervising producer is Aaron Blair. Talent producer, Jennifer Samples. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.